Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Welcome to Rodman Third, presented by SoCalledFantasyExperts.com. And now, here are your hosts, Nick and T. What's going on out there, folks? It's your boy on Twitter, at Hootay, spelled with the U, not an O. Of course, I got my co-host in the house with me tonight at Nick Schlegel on Twitter, this is another edition of Rounding Third Podcast, hosted by the so-called Fantasy Experts Network. Folks, obviously, you heard the intro, and we're just going to do a little moment of silence for my homeboy Prince. Yeah, I mean, you know, the news over the weekend of Prince's death, I know this has nothing to do with fantasy baseball, but I, I promise you, folks, we're going to get to the fantasy baseball aspect here momentarily. Just a little short sidebar about Prince real quick. I I consider him one of the greatest, if not one of the greatest artists of our time, our generation. Uh, I'm about 32, about to be 33 this year. And, yeah, you know, MJ had his influences. But for me, Prince was probably more influential to music as a whole than Michael Michael Jackson could ever be. And before you get mad and get angry and get upset with me, Hear me out here, okay? Prince, for me, changed music to making music actually be music. When you listen to Prince's music, there's instruments, there's arrangements, uh, very old school way of doing things. Uh, Just if you look through his albums, you look through all of his songs, his catalogs, uh, you'll see the musicality Prince, uh, throughout all of his work, and I think that something like that, something that someone so original um, is going to be surely missed, and I, I'm still pretty devastated. I'm getting a little choked up talking about it, uh, just for the fact that, for me, I love music. I, I'm a huge music head. I know you're the, kind of the same way, Nick, uh, as far as hip-hop, R&B, pop, rock. So all that's concerned, Prince was every bit of all of those genres put into one person, and there will never be another artist like Prince in the history of music for the rest of time. Um, Nick, you you live over in the area. You actually met Prince a couple of times, uh, from what I hear. Uh, why don't you share a little couple of thoughts about Prince real quick before we get into this fantasy baseball talk? Yeah, you know, and this does tie into sports, though, because, one, I mean, Prince was such a huge sports fan. Um, He played the Super Bowl. He was always at baseball games, football games. Um, You know, he was well-respected in the sports community. But as far as musicians go, um, Eric Clapton famously said that Prince was the greatest guitar player ever, like in the history of guitar players. And it's probably true. I say top five for sure. Um, But, I mean, this man knew over, like, 30 instruments – he on his early records he actually played all the instruments on the recording and did the singing and did the engineering um you know he was musically gifted and he was intelligent and something a lot of people overlook too is the fact that this is a man that went to the grave you know probably a little too soon didn't know he was headed that way but owning 100% of his music catalog and control of it 
You know, the Beatles don't have that, never had that. Michael Jackson didn't have that. That's that's something for an artist with a catalog that big that it, it, it doesn't happen this day and age. You know, Metallica doesn't own their own catalog, all of their own catalog. Nobody does. David Bowie didn't when he died. So I think, like, you know, the black David Bowie prince who could touch literally, like, every music genre, he's really going to be missed. And you're right, I did. Um, I live about two hours from Minneapolis and his famous club, First Avenue, um, we used to play there as like an opening gig, you know, for a lot of like emo screamo bands in the mid 2000s. And he was always there ch- checking out bands that you would never think like Prince would want to hear. And we met him a couple different times. He was he was the tiniest little dude, but he was so polite and nice and respectful. And, you know, he probably didn't hear a lick of what we played, but he sold it well and said, you know, great set guys way to go. And like to hear someone like Prince say that about my shitty music, that's like the coolest thing ever, dude. So, you know, like Prince really is going to be missed. And I like that all of these baseball players right now are doing like at-bat songs that are Prince songs. And like the Twins tonight are like decked out in purple. They're all playing Prince music. So like, you know, he, this is primarily a fantasy baseball podcast, yes, but Prince is somebody that really touched more than just the music world. And I think you can see evidently how much of an influence he had in the sports world, like and in pop culture in general. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible and kind of also sad to see the outpouring of love and support for Prince. And you kind of wish that, you know, a lot of this was kind of put out there while he was alive. But at the same time, Prince was a very guarded person, very, very, uh, you know, kind of just stayed to himself. He didn't really want the fanfare like this. But at the same time, you, you're right, you know, you, Nike's coming out with a shoe now. Uh, you know, dedicated a special Prince edition uh, in the Twins lineup tonight, you know, to to swing into the baseball aspect. I think that's absolutely incredible that they're doing that tonight. Uh, To kind of end the Prince conversation, favorite song, which one is yours, Nick? Oh, man. I mean, it's so cliche, but it has to be Purple Rain. Um, I can remember already knowing all the words to that song, like, by the time I have memories. It's one of the first songs that made me want to play guitar. Like, that song just, it has it all. It's kind of like the the little more modern day, like, Freebird, you know? It, it has the guitar solos. It has the heart and soul. Like, it's stripped down at some point. Like, it, I got to go with Purple Rain. Yeah, well, Purple Rain, the movie, for me, will always hold a special place in my heart because it was the first set of boobies I've ever seen uh, <laughs> yeah. on a screen. Uh, Apollonia at Lake Minnetonka. Uh, that image is burned in my brain. Uh, spank, bang, forever. But joking aside, my favorite my favorite song would have to be Raspberry Beret. Um, I I don't know. There's just something about that song that I kind of just grew up with. I kind of liked. Uh, obviously, all of his songs, you know, are great. I love Let's Go Crazy, Greatest Love Story Ever Told, When Doves Cry. The list goes on and on, but. To end the conversation, folks, we lost a great one, truly a great one, and Prince, you're definitely going to be missed. All right, let's get into this fantasy baseball podcast here with fantasysixpack.net. As far as fantasy baseball is concerned, folks, we're going to hit some of these news and ramblings. Uh, We're going to talk about the waiver wires, some studs and duds, and then we'll also close the show with our DFS segment by ontheplay.com. Uh, Nick, why don't you start us off, bro? You know, and that's even tying it back into Prince again, there was there was a lot of really cool moments in baseball this week and even so far this season, and it, they were kind of overshadowed by the whole Prince thing. I mean, ESPN even 
spent like a good chunk of time talking about Prince when like the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and all this baseball stuff was happening. But um, I think the coolest baseball thing this week, obviously, or this past week, was Jake Arrieta throwing a second no hitter oh, in less than a year. Do we have to talk year. about this? Do we have to talk about this? Oh my goodness gracious! My Reds—they just suck. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm tired of the Reds being the ones on the opposite end of these no hitters. Roy Halladay. Uh, now you got Jake doing it to us. I mean, ugh, but go ahead. Yeah, it's it's got it's rough sitting on the other end. I uh, I got to see Carlos Zambrano's no hitter in Milwaukee in person, and that was rough, but also really cool. You know, it's like you can respect it, but it sucks when it happens to you. But man, eleven starts between last year and this year, two no hitters. That's the third shortest span ever in Major League Baseball history, like as far back as they go between no hitters. Uh, he joins an elite club of less than 20 players that have two or more no hitters. Uh, you know, he, he's still nowhere near Nolan Ryan's historic seven, but two in modern day baseball. I mean, the, you know, he's in the Roy Halladay, uh, Max Scherzer company. Now that's, that's Hall of Fame company. Uh, I think Tim Lincecum's also in that, that group. Oh, I mean, yeah. we don't, Timmy. we don't, we don't want to forget slim Tim. Okay. All right. Um, uh, you're right, you know, Jake Arrieta, I, I know I throw him a lot to shade, uh, thinking that, you know, there was some kind of regression that was going to happen this year. I may be having to eat my words sooner than I thought. Uh, it looks like he's just as dialed in as he was a year ago. And uh, to see that, especially in the National League, in the National League Central, considering how dominant he was to close to the year last year, um, you know, if he keeps this up, uh, we're probably looking at, yeah, obviously Kershaw is still always going to be Kershaw, but we're probably looking at an area of the number two pitcher um, probably in all of fantasy baseball at the moment. Well, you know, coming into the season, everybody was so ready to annoy Bumgarner, the number one pitcher, with Kershaw, you know, not being so hot in the playoffs. But I, we have to slide Arietta into this conversation at this point. He's, what, 24-1 and since he came to the Cubs? And I get it. He was shit with the Orioles, but... I read a really interesting article this weekend about um, how they were toying with his mechanics, um, like in a bad way. Their pitching coach there in Baltimore at the time was like very set on making you do it his way no matter what. And as soon as Arietta was allowed to come to the Cubs and throw the way he wanted, like he just, you know, he burst onto the scene. So it's, I, I don't, I, we have to expect some sort of regression. I mean, this guy can't lose one game every year for the next like five years, but less than 10 losses, especially with this offense behind him, like, this guy could be considered the top fantasy pitcher maybe next year, maybe even above Kershaw. Like, I'm not ready to crown him, but it's it's a possibility. Yeah, you know, it, it's weird, too, because I was on, I had a dynasty team probably like four or five years back, and I remember on this dynasty team, I was so hardcore about this dynasty team. Uh, you know, I, I, I picked up Hosmer before he, he broke into the majors. You know, I had, you know, Moustakis. And I had Arietta too. I was like, oh, Arietta, look, look at his numbers in the minors. His numbers in the minors were absolutely fantastic. It was just every single time he got up there to that Orioles organization, the bottom kind of fell out. But you looked at his minor league numbers and you saw that, okay, there's some skill here. There's some talent here. And the switch to the NL from the AL is just paid dividends. Uh, probably also couple that with Joe Madden being his 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 manager now instead of, you know, the guys that they had up in Baltimore where 
Joe Madden's more kind of a player's coach where, you know, he's going to let Arietta do his thing as opposed to trying to fix something that's not broken. And so uh, with Arietta, you know, I, I'm almost to the point where, you know, I need pitching help in one of my leagues, my Roto League, uh, my FSWA League. And I'm thinking about, you know, packaging up like Tulu and, you know, another, you know, kind of top tier guy to acquire his services down the stretch because I know that he's going to help my ERA. Uh, it just looks like he's in for probably uh, another side young year, dare I say it. Ugh. Yeah. And, you know, a guy that could push for a little bit of contention in the NL Cent- or the NL Cy Young race, excuse me, uh, Dodgers rookie sensation Kenta Medea. Dude, just burst onto the scene. One earned run given up in his first four starts. Historic. Nobody. Nobody. Not Sandy Koufax. Not Clayton Kershaw. No one has ever done this. Uh, his ERA is .36, and he's 3-0, and taking a no decision in one of those. Um, the next Kershaw in the making, you know, this. if he can round out as, like, a really solid number two for the Dodgers, the loss of Zank Granke, especially the way he's playing this year, it's almost like it doesn't even matter right now. No, it doesn't matter. And historically, year one for the Japanese imports have been historically pretty fucking fantastic. I mean, you can go down the list of guys. That first year when they come over here, they have phenomenal years. I mean, Darvish was amazing in his first couple of years. Um, You know, Ryu, kind of uh, five or six years ago, he was pretty good when he first got over here. Uh, Iwakama, uh, up there in Seattle, he was pretty decent to start as well. So looking at his skill set and looking at the team he plays for, I'm kind of with you where, you know, I might be buying into this historic start as far as what he can do the rest of the way. Obviously, I don't think the ERA is going to be as sparkling, but I mean, I don't think it's out of the room of possibility. I mean, they went over and got him for a reason from Japan. Uh, his Japanese numbers are absolutely fantastic as well. Uh, he was probably one of the best pitchers over there. And, and now he's over here with all of these guys who we consider, you know, some of the best hitters in the world. Uh, doing the things that he's doing so far is absolutely incredible. I'm buying into him. Uh, I don't know what kind of price tag I would go as far as to making a trade for him, but I'm buying into him. I like everything that I see so far, and I'm with you. Uh, you know, this talent right now is just absolutely incredible considering they just said, oh, yeah, Zach Grinky, you had a great year last year. We'll just let you go. We'll go get this guy. He's going to replace you and have a better season than you had a year ago. Incredible. And, you know, there was one Japanese pitcher I was really hoping you'd hit on that you missed. Um, Dodgers legend Hideo Nomo. Nomo! Yeah, I and you, you know Nomo. what's Sorry. Awesome about this? Uh, Medea, 20 years to the day of Nomo's no-hitter, took a no-no into the sixth inning for the Dodgers. So it was like, you know, it, that was really cool to watch because they had been talking about Nomo showing highlights that whole game anyway. And then as they got further into the game, they were like, oh, shit, you know, like this kid's doing the same thing. And they've given like six hits in the game, but still, I mean, it was it was really fun to watch. Um, and so, you know, fun to watch for you, I'm sure. Uh, and this, you know, I hate my life because of this, because this is a guy I finally gave up on, finally washed my hands of. I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this bullshit. And then he comes out and he does this. Uh, Mark Trumbo, like your dude, 
He is fifth in Major League Baseball with a 373 batting average, five home runs and 16 RBIs. Uh, he is raking in Baltimore, and there's really no signs of him slowing down. Yeah, I love me some Mark Trumbo. Uh, obviously, you know, him being in Baltimore, it, it's kind of an interesting situation because, you know, a year ago the offense struggled a bit. Chris Davis took him a really, really long time to get going. This year it's a little bit different. Uh, Adam Jones is struggling a little bit, but, you know, Machado, he's a, having his, you know, normal season so far. Chris Davis is having kind of a bounce-back year so far. And I think that, you know, the surrounding parts on this team, as opposed to the Mariners or even the Angels, for that matter, or, or the Diamondbacks, uh, and it's crazy to say that even the, Diamond, the Diamondbacks, you know, at the time when Trumbo was playing for them, uh, I, I think offensively the collective pieces around Trumbo help support that – this may be something that can go on the rest of the year. I doubt the average stays where it's at. I mean, that's just that's just out of out of this world kind of an average right now at the moment. But I wouldn't be shocked to see if he hits 290 or 300 at this point. I mean, only five home runs. Obviously, he's going to heat up a little bit. He should probably be good for at least 25 home runs, 25 to 30 the rest of the way. But as long as he's healthy and as long as he's batting in that lineup where he's batting where, you know, he kind of has that protection from Crush Davis, I like his numbers the rest of the way. I think that he's a solid trade candidate because of the fact that people are probably going to look at Mark Trumbo and think that, you know, the regression is going to come at some point and it's going to come hard. I think regression is going to come, but I don't think it's going to come as hard as people people are anticipating. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, we can't really expect him to hover near 400 for forever, but the high 200th average while he rakes home runs and RBIs, like, I'm all about it. And I think the biggest difference for him is the strikeouts are down and the walks are up. <clears throat> so even if the batting average goes down, you're still not going to have a ton of Ks. You're going to get a lot of um, walks besides. So, I mean, I like, I think if you have him on your team and you need a lot of help and your outfield's still pretty solid, I would try to sell him right now. You could probably get a pretty good deal for him. And then the other like bit of pretty awesome news, in my opinion, this week, um, King Felix of the Mariners actually passed Randy Johnson for the all-time Mariners strikeout record with 2,162. Um, you know, I was a firm believer we were never going to see another 3,000 strikeout candidate, but... I mean, Felix is barely 30, not even 30 yet. It's 29, 30. He's right there. I know we're, like, almost the same age. So, I mean, to be less than 1,000 away, like, it's very realistic if he stays healthy that we're going to see another 3,000 strikeout guy. Yeah, but I think the if he stays healthy part is kind of the key thing. I mean, you look at Felix's career, and he's been an absolute workhorse dog for the Mariners his whole career. And now that you're starting to see the velocity go down a little bit more, uh, he's starting to get hit a little bit harder. Who knows if he's going to get there? He's not Randy Johnson in terms of Randy Johnson's mechanics with his slider, which is absolutely nasty. But Felix, if he learns how to pitch, because this is how it always works in baseball, they get to a certain age, you can't just rely on your stuff. If you learn how to pitch, like Maddox learned how to pitch, which I think that Felix is capable of doing, he's he's a phenomenal pitcher, uh, with or without you know that 
upper echelon velocity that we've known to see from him. If everything works out, I think you're right. You know, if he stays healthy and he stays in this game, we probably will see another 3K pitcher. Um, The fact that he stayed with the Mariners this whole time, you know, kudos to the Mariners for doing something right Uh, in that regard. uh, I obviously think that, you know, I'm kind of a fan of, you know, a guy being on a team, staying with the team, and then retiring with the team. And, you know, they have a situation to make this right with King Felix the rest of the way. And if he wants to pursue 3,000, I say let him do it and let him do it in a Mariners uniform for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, I'm especially being a Brewers guy when my players always leave. I'm always looking for a guy that'll stick with his team the whole career. And I really want Felix to that. You know, the Mariners fans don't have a lot to look forward to. He's a one bright spot that he's like one of the last guys I want to see in like a Red Sox or a Yankees uniform. Um, the, you know, seeing him pitch the Yankees honestly would be about as bad as some of these guys have been playing lately. You know, I had a lot of these guys I'm about to talk about here are guys that I thought would do well this season. You know, uh, a number of them are guys we had talked about in the preseason shows. Um, just big surprises. Andrew McCutcheon hitting 217. Todd Frazier, 205. Um, Gerardo Parra, who we talked about a lot getting playing, you know, starting time in Colorado, 238. Curtis Granderson, 229. And Nori Aoki, uh, 217. These are guys that are owned, you know, 85% plus in leagues, except maybe Gerardo Parra not. The rest of them, though. Um People are getting awful return on value on these guys right now. And, you know, and you can't even, you can't sell them for any sort of decent return because of how they're playing. And, you know, especially with guys like McCutcheon, you don't expect this to last all season. But, like, what what are you trying to do with these guys right now? Are you in a holding pattern? Are you trying to just get what you can for them? What, what would you do if you had one or two of these guys on your roster? Uh, every guy after Frazier, I'm probably comfortable with dumping right now at the moment. Aoki, Para, uh, I can't remember who the other guy you just mentioned. Um, yeah. yeah. All those guys, droppable, completely droppable. Now, with Todd Frazier, he's kind of an interesting situation where he's starting to heat up a little bit. Obviously, you know, you want more home runs out of Todd Frazier, but you had to think that there was going to be some kind of an adjustment period for Todd Frazier in his new digs in Chicago. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, he's, he's batting, you know, behind Abreu. Abreu's kind of off to a slow start himself. And so I think that that's kind of, you know, playing off of one another. I, I can easily see Abreu heating up here soon. And once he starts heating up, I'm sure Todd Frazier's going to follow. Todd's kind of heating up right now. He's not, you know, nowhere near where you're plugging him into your DFS lineups every night, but he's heating up. I'm not as worried with Todd Frazier as I would be with the other guys that I said dropping. Now, with Andrew McCutcheon, now a year ago, I wrote an article about Andrew McCutcheon. I was throwing him shade just because I'm a Pittsburgh hater, but I saw there was, you know, chances for regression with McCutcheon. Um, you know, he was an MVP two years ago. Obviously, last year he kind of repeated what he did the year before. This year so far, very, very, very slow start. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, on DFS sites, and he's still one of the top three or four outfielders, you know, priced. And I'm like, why? 
why is he priced this high, you know, just on name notoriety alone? And I think that, you know, you're right about McCutcheon. If you have him right now, I would probably just hold until he heats up and then try and move him. But, man, I mean, I don't know when he's going to heat up because, you know, we haven't really seen this from him in his career before where he struggled this hard to start the season. So if I have McCutcheon, I'm holding him. But obviously, I'm listening to trade offers. I'm trying to get something out of him because who knows when he's going to break out of his funk and who knows if he's ever going to get back to, you know, that 290 uh, range with the, you know, the 22, the 23 bombs. Uh, You know, the way he's going right now, he may hit 250, 260 and have, you know, 16 to 17 home runs. And that's not what you drafted Andrew McCutcheon for at all. And he's not stealing bases either. So, uh, I'm definitely, definitely very, very worried. Yeah, me too. And you know, it, it's you mentioned how highly priced he still is. I, it must be name recognition because, especially with this Colorado series, you know, all of Pittsburgh's players um, were a little more premium priced than usual, but not not badly at all. But Kutch was still like the fourth outfielder, and you have Gregory Polanco who's just raking in comparison, and he was like three thousand dollars less on all the sites. Like it's just crazy how expensive Kutch still is, given how horrible he's been to start this season. Now, moving on to look at the injuries this week. Um, I guess the biggest one for me, Michael Brantley coming back from injury. He is slated to be active for the Indians this week. Um, Still available in a decent little amount of leagues, so if you need outfield help and he's there, grab him. If you're smart enough to get him like last week, like good for you. I like Michael Brantley. It's one of the guys the Brewers traded for CC Sabathia back in the day. Um, you know, solid, talented outfielder puts up good fantasy numbers. Um, I look for him to get into the swing of things, you know, hopefully by the beginning of May. Uh, probably be a really good producer as long as he stays healthy for the rest of the season. I've always been a fan of Michael Brantley. Um, anytime you can get an outfielder that's going to bat 300 on the regular and give you about, you know, 10 to 12 home runs, chipping about 10 to 12 steals, obviously he's not stealing as much anymore, but still – I've always liked Brantley because I knew the average was always something that was kind of a given. Um, you know, it's rare to say that about people in baseball, but Michael Brantley's a 300 hitter, folks. I mean, he, he's pretty much a 300 hitter. What uh, you, you see is what you get. And considering where he's going to be placed in the batting order, uh, probably slotted in that three hole when he gets back, I'm with you. You know, if you got Michael Brantley off the cheap, off the waiver wire a couple weeks ago because people were snoozing in your leagues, bravo. Props to you. Uh, Obviously, I agree with you, though. You know, he's going to struggle out of the gate a little bit. But to see him come back from the DL as early as he has to start the year, that's very, very encouraging because we were getting a timetable earlier to start the the season where they were saying, you know, he probably wasn't going to be back until June, July. You know, the timetable was very, very up in the air. And to see him coming back here soon, great, great news. Go get him if you got him. Uh, hold on to him. Or, you know, hey, maybe you got a Cleveland Indian fan in your league. Hold high ransom for Michael Brantley's services because Lord knows if you're a Cleveland Indians fan, you love the fact that Michael Brantley's coming back off the DL. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love using, like, blatant homerism against people. Um, you know, everybody has that favorite fantasy player uh, that 
like they just can't quit no matter well, you know with no inexplicable reason um so if you can definitely take advantage of that with somebody go for it i that's i'm all about that another guy coming back from injury that's going to be good for you especially uh homer bailey really close to return to the reds i saw he's out on rehab i didn't see where it was a triple a or double a one or the other um but he's slated to be back by the beginning of may uh, that's going to be a big boost for Cincinnati, but a big boost for fantasy owners as well. He's only owned in like 21% of leagues right now. Um, a guy you and I talked about to start the season being, you know, a really good pitcher when he came back from injury. So I, this is a guy, personally, I'm really looking forward to coming back. I've already stashed him in a couple of leagues. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to him coming back. Uh, not just as a Red fan. I, I was actually kind of a believer in his talent. I remember writing a blog two years ago about – how I thought, you know, Homer was going to have this breakout season, and then, you know, Homer ended up getting hurt, and the rest is history. But with Homer Bailey, uh, as frustrating as it's been to see what's happened over the last two years with him, I'm interested to see how the first, you know, two or three starts go before I dive into – acquiring his services obviously you know if he's out on the waiver wire and you need pitching help and your your pitching staff's just awful homer bailey's definitely going to help you he's going to get you some k's he's probably going to get you some quality starts but at the same time i want to see what he what he's capable of so to speak i i don't i don't know if you know the velocity is going to be there i don't know if the control is going to be there which is probably the more main thing that I'm more concerned about is his control. Uh, if he comes back in these first three starts and, say, he rattles off, you know, two quality starts and maybe one where, you know, he got the five innings and, you know, labored a bit and walked maybe like two or three guys. Uh, if, if in those other two quality starts he only walked one guy, then I might become more of a believer in his, you know, kind of outlook for the rest of the year. But say he comes back in these first three starts and the control's not there. He walks four guys in the first start, uh, gives up three earned, walks four guys in the next start, gives up two earned, you know, walks four or five guys in that next following start. Obviously, at that point, um, it's fool's gold, and, you know, he's not going to provide any kind of value for you. So I'm kind of in a wait, stash, see pattern with Homer Bailey at the moment, but as a Red fan, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see him coming back because there's only so much of, like, Tim Mil- Millville I can take. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Um, we saw a couple other guys get pulled from starts um, the last few days, but no official, like, DL stints yet. Uh, Cleveland pitcher Carlos Carrasco left the game Sunday with a hamstring injury. Uh, Cespedes, Jesus, <laughs> left the game on Friday night with a right leg bruise, didn't play all weekend. Um, he's supposed to be back this week, but, you know, that's going to affect his speed and his power going forward. Um, thank God, you know, we don't track defensive stats because that's definitely going to hurt him as well. Um, Billy Hamilton as well for the Reds battling that thumb injury, um, struggling to get on base. You know, it's hard for a guy to put up steel numbers, which you're basically looking at him for when he's not getting on base. Um, and then we saw a couple other guys hit the DL, uh, Giovanni Gallardo in Baltimore and Charlie Morton in Philadelphia, both put on the 15-day DL. Uh, don't really have any sort of return timetable for them. Oh, and I missed one. Uh, Irving Santana from Minnesota was also scratching from his start Saturday with lower back pain. 
Probably not going to go on the DL, but could miss another start. Uh, his velocity could be iffy if he does start. So, you know, I, these are guys, unfortunately, I'm probably avoiding for a little while. Um, I say unfortunately because of Cespedes. And Santana's a low-cost guy that I like to go to from time to time. But, uh, you know, Cespedes is a dude I put in lineups a lot because for some reason he's not always the highest priced. And it's, this kind of hurts me more than anything. Yeah, I was kind of high on Cespedes. Suspedes going into this year, and to see him struggle to start the year, and now he's hurt. And you're right, you know, a life problem can definitely affect the swing and definitely affect the offense and the defensive numbers, uh, as a matter of fact. But I guess the Mets kind of have a, a gluttony of riches where, you know, they can move Suspedes to left and, you know, put Contorto and, you know, center and, and play with their outfield that way. So at least they have that going for them. Uh, the rest of the guys that you mentioned, you know, obviously Billy Hamilton, he's been struggling to start the year. Um, I, I don't even want to comment the rest on, on him because I, I don't really understand the situation where, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to rant. I'm not even going to rant about it. This is a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm going to stay neutral. not going to go on to a rant rant. Uh, Giovanni Gallardo and Charlie Morton are interesting cases where Charlie Morton's <laughs> kind of a – He's kind of a pussy where it seems like always, whenever anyone decides to go, hey, start Charlie Morton today, he fucking shits the bed and gets hurt. It's happened every year for like the last five years. And so, fuck Charlie Morton. If he's out there on the waiver wire, leave him out there. Fuck him. Giovanni Garrido is kind of the same way. I wasn't really high on his kind of prospects going into the year. And I know it hurts you to say this, you know, about Giovanni because, you know, he spent so many years in Milwaukee being such a pretty fantastic pitcher. Uh, to see him being at this point in his career is, is very, very disheartening. But at the same time, you know, I, I really wasn't a fan of where he landed in Baltimore uh, considering, you know, the offensive numbers the AL East likes to put up against one another. And to see him hit the DL, uh, it's going to be – kind of a while before I would even think about streaming Giovanni Garoto, but we'll see how he comes back from the DL, see how he performs. Uh, Carlos Carrasco is kind of an interesting one where, you know, this is a guy that a lot of people drafted, you know, in those middle rounds, uh, you know, wanting to get those strikeouts. Obviously, you know, still holds value um you know if you own him you, you can you can still trade him for pretty much the same value that you drafted him at but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with his injury in terms of is everything going to go back to normal or is everything going to be downhill and it's kind of an interesting situation because it could go either way in his situation so if you have him, you're just going to have to assess what your team needs at the at the moment, and if you can hold him, I probably would hold him, but I'm definitely not shying away from putting him on the trading block, that's for sure. All right, there you have it, folks. That's our take on the injuries for the week. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to take a look at some waiver wire action as well as some studs and duds for week four. Thank you for listening to the Rounding Third podcast on so-called Fantasy Experts Network. We will be right back. Sign up at ownthepay.com using referral code R3P 
for special promotions when you make your first deposit. Then test your skills and play head-to-head with Nick and T. All right, folks, welcome back. It's your boy, Ed Hude. This is the Rounding Third Podcast. And, of course, I got my co-host, at Nick Slagle, in the house with me tonight on so-called Fantasy Experts Network. We're going to talk about a little waiver wire, guys, and some studs and duds. Nick, let them know. So, you know, I feel like there's a couple of guys on this that we stumped for, like, week in and week out. And for some reason, people aren't buying in, and I don't get it. But a big one of those is Jake Lamb, a third baseman in Arizona. He's killing it right now. Um hitting 290 with two home runs and 10 RBIs, um, hitting really well from the two-hole and the six-hole in Arizona, which is interesting. Um, but he's only owned in 28% of leagues. So, I mean, like, go out there and get yourself some Jake Lamb, especially if you're having infielder troubles. Um, another one that really blew me away, and, uh, yeah, he's not playing, like, every, every day, but he's only about 10 to 20 at-bats below everybody else. Zach Kozart, dude. 17% ownership when he's hitting 400 with 10 runs, a home run, and five RBIs. Yeah, he's only got 51 at-bats. Most everybody else has 68 to 70, but he's playing enough that he warrants being on your lineup and, or being on your roster and getting in the lineup on days he's playing. Yeah, with both of these guys, okay, first let's start with Zach Cozart. I, I think it's a situation with Cozart where you just don't want to believe it. You know, and a lot of fantasy guys, they'll look at the numbers and they just don't want to believe it. But they're forgetting about Zach Cozart from last year. Um, you know, Zach Cozart before last year, he was, you know, one of those guys, kind of like Danny Espinosa. He's going to go out there. He's going to strike out. Uh, you're not going to get much production out of him. And every now and then he's going to run into a home run. Last year, Zach Cozart actually showed a little bit of the pop and the power that you're seeing right now. Um, as far wise as he's concerned, I, I'm a believer. I don't think it lasts, you know, in this 400 rings long term. But I actually think Zach Kozar is a solid 290 hitter. Um, and you're right. You know, I think people are just looking at the name, uh, thinking about, you know, two years ago where, you know, Zach Kozar could barely get over the, you know, the Mendoza line. And you're right. You know, people need to, you know, pump their brakes and reevaluate what's going on with Zach Kozar right now. Here's a guy that's when he's healthy – and he's playing. The only reason why he has less amount of games is because he had a couple of games where, where he sat, you know, was dealing with kind of a, a knee issue, and they wanted to play it safe. And so they sat him for a couple of games. But he's relatively healthy, and every single time he's been in the lineup, he's been batting in that one hole. So you're getting run production out of him. He's not going to steal too many bases, but you're getting run production out of him. He has decent amount of pop, at least double-digit pop. And I'm actually a believer in, in the average. I think the average is almost kind of legit, at least to the legit to the point where it's not going to hurt your roto teams. Uh, I honestly think that, you know, a 290, 285 hitter is definitely something that's in the realm of possibility for Zach Cozart the rest of the way. Uh, with Jake Lamb, you hit you hit the dead on with him. I, I don't even understand his ownership. Um you know, I look at Jake Lamb in the lineup every single day when I'm setting my DFS lineups. Like, okay, all right. this. I mean, he's just every single time, he's just value. He's just value, value, value. And he's value for Roto Leagues as well. With only being 28% owned, 
at third base, uh, a position where there's a lot of third basemen that are struggling right now or have similar numbers to Jake Lamb where, you know, you could probably use uh, use Jake Lamb over these guys right now. Say like a, you know, like an Evan Longoria, you know, he's kind of similar to Jake Lamb in terms of value right now. Uh, you know, even Todd Frazier, if you own Todd Frazier and Jake Lamb's on your waiver wire, why not go get Jake Lamb, put him into your lineup for the time being until Todd Frazier heats up? Uh, yeah, I, I I think you're exactly right about Jake Lamb, criminally under-owned right now. Absolutely. That's absolutely. Um, a couple catchers I've really been interested in recently. Um, Yasmani Grando only owns in 31% of leagues. Coming back from that injury, he's hitting 381 so far with four RBIs. Um, still splitting time with A.J. Ellis, so it's someone you kind of got to watch out for again. Um, but then good old Salty, Jared Saltalamakia in Detroit, kind of burst onto the scene in a big way. Um, he's owned in about 50% of leagues, so this is probably the last week you can get him. But he started six straight games last week, six out of seven. Um, he hit 282 with six home runs and 15 RBIs. Um, he's going to play regularly for now. Even when James McCann comes back, you know, if he stays hot, he's probably going to take his spot. Uh, so those are two guys I really, really like at the catcher position. Um, and then rounding out position player-wise, uh, another Arizona player, Yasmani Thomas, outfielder, third baseman. Um, you know, he sort of – dude has eligibility at, like, five positions, which is awesome. Uh, owned in 39% of leagues, and he's hitting 279 with 10 runs, three home runs, and nine RBIs. And he's now hit safely in 10 straight games. Uh, criminally under-owned. He's producing game in and game out. It might not be huge numbers, but it's it's solid – dependable production and that's you know if if you have a very volatile team something like that is very welcome and then a guy i love guy i have in lineups like across the board tonight uh travis shaw with boston only owning 40 percent of the league he's hitting 345 with a home run eight rbis and two stolen bases and 60 at bats um he's pretty much taken over as either the everyday third baseman or first baseman they're getting them in the lineup in any way they can uh, three guys on, owned, you know, four guys, excuse me, owned under 50% that could really, really boost your team. And they have to be playing better than at least one person on your team. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm in the same company. I got Travis Shaw everywhere tonight. I mean, I saw he was batting in the four hole and, uh, with Ortiz sitting. I was like, sign me up for that value. Hello. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, Travis Shaw definitely has been hitting a decent stick lately. All of these guys – Although, with Jerry Saltzmachia, I'm just going to say this, and I said it on Twitter the other day, he has to be on performing enhancing drugs. There's no, there's no other explanation to what's going on with Jerry Saltzmachia. I don't, I don't care. You can tell me, you know, oh, his, his bats on balls in play or blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, his, his ground ball rate is this, blah, 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 blah. No. Saltzmachia is on performance enhancing drugs. Okay, that's the only explanation that's going on with him right now. You can't tell me a guy that barely hit fucking six home runs last year already has six, and we're barely through a month of the season. Uh, with Grandel though, Grandel he was a he was a prospect of the Reds, and we ended up trading him in the Matt Latos deal, uh, and then he ended up in L.A. and so. With with L.A., I, A.J. Ellis provides no upside. Uh, I think that, you know, it's obvious that Grandel is their catcher of the future, uh, the, a switch-hitting catcher, if that. So, you know, as long as he's playing well, uh, he's he's able to play night in, night out. It doesn't matter who's pitching. There's no, you know, left, right kind of thing. He's going to play. And I think that 
you know, towards the tail end of last year was kind of telling where, you know, Grandel got majority of the bats away from A.J. Ellis. Yeah, he was hurt to end the year last year. But I think that, you know, with A.J. Ellis not being ready to, you know, kind of play every single day or, or force the issue as far as just making Grandel sit, I think Grandel has an opportunity to take the job and, and catch a majority of the games down the stretch. So, you know, if he's out there on the waiver wire, I definitely implore you to go out there and pick him up for sure. And I love the Thomas the Tomas call. Um, you know, it, it's interesting looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks lineups day in and day out, and you're, you've seen Tomas go from the six hole to the five hole to the four hole and now he's in that four hole behind Goldschmidt, uh, and he has been for like the last couple of weeks. So, you know, at only 39% owned, I can't see why, you know, he's only 39% owned at this point, considering, you know, he's as hot of a hitter right now in baseball as there is. And considering that Arizona Diamond back lineup, you know, yeah, A.J. Pollock's not there for the rest of the year. I got to understand it, but this is still a lineup that can put up some pretty gaudy offensive numbers, you know, especially when we get into the summer months. So as far as he's concerned, I like the value. I think that you're, you're right when as far as he's concerned, why is he only under 40% owned is beyond me. But if there was one guy on this list that needs to be owned a little bit more, I think it's Tomas because of the fact that, Hey, he's batting in a premium spot in the lineup where, you know, on most nights he's going to be able to drive in Goldschmidt and, you know, getting an RBI a night may sound small, but in the long run of things, you know, you can probably chalk him up for at least 70 RBIs the rest of the way. And I think that's fantastic, especially if you're grabbing him off the waiver wire. I, I like that call. I'd say him and Lamb are the two position players out of this list I, I'd really target more than anything. And, and two pitchers I just wanted to touch on. Uh, Drew Pomeranz in San Diego, only owned in 29% of leagues. Uh, he's 25K, 2.04 ERA and a 1.13 whip, and only four earned runs in 17 and two-thirds innings. Uh, Ten strikeouts in a game against the Pirates last week. Uh, he's uh, he's pitching incredibly well. I have him in a bunch of lineups as a super value, um, you know, matched up with Thor tonight um, against San Francisco. I, and he has another start again this week on Saturday. So I think Pomerantz is a really good pickup. And then a guy I'm keeping my eye on, I might not pick him up this week, but um, Boston just called up their rookie, Henry, Henry Owens. He's only owned in 3.8% of leagues right now. But in AAA so far this season, a 1 ERA with 23 Ks. They have a lot of faith in this kid. Um, I keep an eye on it. If he puts up a couple of good starts, you're going to see his ownership skyrocket. So, you know, if you're really in need of pitching or you're willing to, you know, take a chance on this kid, it could really pay off well for you. Yeah, I like Henry Owens a lot. Um, If there was one pitching prospect that I really wanted to go out there and get besides maybe Blake Snell, uh, it's definitely probably Henry Owens at this point. And, you're right about Drew Pomeranz. Uh, I've always been a fan of Drew Pomeranz, but, you know, obviously when he started his career, he was in Colorado, and so no one wanted to ever touch him uh, just due to that fact alone. And considering that, you know, he's not really kind of a strikeout artist, uh, was also kind of a knock to him in the ballpark that he was pitching in. Moves to Oakland, uh, you know, gets more of a pitcher-friendly park, 
uh, stumbles due to the fact that he was battling a bunch of injuries. And now that he's in San Diego, kind of a more more of a spacious park, uh, I think that she might be onto something where, you know, this could present some sneaky value. Um, you know, being in that ballpark, I think that, you know, if there was one pitcher that needs to be in San Diego, it's definitely Drew Pomeranz. And he's taking advantage of the situation completely. Obviously, you know, he plays San Diego, so there are going to be some nights where he doesn't have the run support that you would like. But I like the skill set. I've always been a fan of the skill set. And if he's pitching in San Diego, I think that it's worth taking a risk on at this point, considering he has, you know, that 2.4 ERA. Yeah, it's hard to pass that up, especially in that ballpark. Um, Switching sides to guys that we really don't want on our rosters anymore. Um, Howie Kendrick in Los Angeles, he's still 50% owned. He's hitting only 174, and they plugged him into the outfield. They're so desperate for people. Um, I'm washing my hands of that situation. Uh, Marcelo Zuna in Miami. This is a guy that I've almost put on this list like three weeks in a row, and I'm just like, no, I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it. But, I mean, he's still owned in 46% of leagues, and he's only hitting 200, a slash line of 200, 216, 246. So many better outfielders out there. We just talked about one of them. I mean, like, there's no reason you should have Ozuna on your roster if you could go out and get Yasmani Thomas. Um, Evan Gaddis. Now, hear me out here. Had a good day. Was looking good today. Um, But overall, like, Gaddis still just, He's not doing it for me. He's he okay. Before today, he was hitting 154 with two runs, zero everything else. Super slow start since returning. He might get it going a little bit, but I mean, he's 57 percent owned. Like, if you have Gaddis on your roster, you drafted him fairly high. He's taking up roster space, and while well, you're waiting for him to get better, he he's hurting you. Drop him and pick up somebody that can give you a little more upside right now, or try to trade him. I'm sure somebody will trade for him, and you can get something that'll beef up your roster. Yeah, I was never really a fan of Gaddis, but I mean they got to do something down there in Houston, considering you know Jason Castro and whoever else they run out at catcher on most sites. It's just not going to cut it. I mean. Yeah, he's bad at mostly in the DH slot for them, um, but I, I feel like it's that's more of Colby Rasmus's job right now, uh, and he's not going anywhere for that squad. And so, yeah, you know, I think Gaddis is in a situation where he's getting playing time because the other batters that are being considered aren't really that good, and so you're kind of like, okay. Maybe Gaddis can definitely turn it around. Maybe Gaddis can get hot all of a sudden. And so I think that that's where most fantasy owners are. I'm with you, though. I'm not a believer. I'm probably going to drop him until he gets hot and then maybe pick him back up off the waiver wire if he's still there. Uh, Howie Kendrick thing kind of hurts my soul because here's a guy that, you know, I've drafted late in rounds, you know, year after year for at least the last four or five years. And, you know, obviously the playing time was always kind of an issue with him where, you know, Sochi was always starting Abar one day and then starting Kendrick one day and then starting someone else another day and, you know, doing all this crazy stuff with this lineup day in and day out. And so with Howie Kendrick, though, most of the time he's been pretty reliable. Uh, he, you know, a 290, 300 hitter year in and year out. He's going to give you – 
you know, chip in stats here and there, you know, home runs, RBIs, runs across the board. But you're right, you know, with him struggling to start the year the way that he has and considering how old he is, um, it, it may be the end of the road here for Harry Kendrick, and it just it breaks my heart. Uh, the Azuna thing, you know, you look at his numbers and you're like, okay, like maybe there's something there. But then you look at his numbers a little bit deeper, and I think you're right. I don't think there's anything there at all. Uh, I don't think the light bulb's ever going to come on with this guy. I mean, in the minors, he barely cracked double digits in home runs. Uh, and in the majors, he's barely doing it. And if he even gets there this year, uh, it almost seems like it would be a fucking miracle. So I'm with you. I think all three of these guys are comfortable enough to dump. And the guys that we mentioned before should be apt replacements for all of these guys. Absolutely. And two two pitchers on this list. Uh Rich Hill in Oakland, fifty eight percent owned still. Um he hasn't made it past the fifth inning in two of three starts. Seventeen hits given up and only thirteen innings pitched. Um his inning pitch numbers are awful for head to head leagues. His whip is gross for roto leagues. Uh I don't I don't know why he's owned so high, so this is a guy you gotta drop. And this guy I had on the list, apparently people were reading my mind because he made a big drop overnight. But Jamie Huxton is finally down to 16.7% ownership, thankfully. Um, he's 1-1 one one with only with 20 Ks, which is nice, but a 5.2 ERA and a 1.4 whip. And he hasn't made it out of the fourth inning in his last two starts. Um, he only has more than six innings pitched once. It's better pitchers out there, dude. Just drop this guy. And, and fine, you know, it looks like people finally did because he was at like 42% last night. But thankfully, people are, you know, catching on. Goodness gracious, Rich Hill. I'm looking at Rich Hill's stats. How long has Rich Hill been in the fucking league? Goodness gracious. Yeah, Man, he's been around. Goes all the way back to Goes all the way back to 2002, and the list of teams is just like, man, he's got traded here, got traded here, got traded here, got traded here. Oh, boy. Uh, but, I mean, looking at his numbers a little bit closely, uh, to try and figure out why he's over 50%, it's beyond me. I mean, obviously, I guess people are hanging on to those, you know, those four starts that he had with Boston last year uh, and thinking that, you know, he's in Oakland. There's a chance he can definitely turn it around. I don't know. I'm kind of with you where, you know, I think you have to wait and see it happen for a couple of starts before you start throwing him back into your lineups because he's really kind of a huge liability to you at this point, considering he can't even make it out of the fucking fifth inning. Um, And Hellboy, I think Hellboy, you know, you often see it a lot in fantasy baseball. I mean, you see it a lot in fantasy football too, but you see it in fantasy baseball uh, more so than you would think where – you know, a guy will get an award and, you know, Hellboy won, you know, Rookie of the Year, what was it, four or five years ago or something like that. And so with that, you know, you know, people are going to always constantly go back to that year and see if there's something that can be salvaged, something that can happen to get the, the light to come back on. And I think that, you know, the situation with him, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall where, He's playing for the Philadelphia Phillies now, folks. Um, his home park's not as spacious. Uh, even the teams he's playing on the road now, inside of that NL East, where you know you got to deal with Harper as many times as you do in the year. I, 
it's just there's no there's no real value in, in throwing Hellickson out there, especially if he's not getting the strikeouts, which he's struggling to do to start the year. Uh, say he averages, you know, seven strikeouts per go and still giving up, you know, three to four earned runs per go. Okay, that's rosterable. But giving up three to four earned runs and maybe striking out three to four per game, that's not rosterable, folks. And I, for him to be still over 50% on and people are still trying to drop him, uh, hopefully by the end of this week he's like 20% on yeah, hopefully. Uh, switching gears yet again, look at more the DFS side of things for the week. Uh, starting with the studs, I'm all about the Pirate stack this week, dude. Um, all of their games are against the Rockies at Coors and the Reds at home. Shitty right-handed pitching across the board. Um, the best pitcher that they face this week has a 4.7 career ERA and three career losses against uh, the Pirates. John Jaso's hitting a ridiculous 375, 429, 500 slash line against righties and has let off 14 of their 15 games against right-handed pitchers. Cervelli, as the number five hitter, is hitting 311, 407, 400 against righties. And David Fries, their number three hitter, is hitting 291, 391, 327 against righties. Now you add in the hot streaks that Gregory Polanco and Josh Harrison have been on, and this is like five players that all are not, you know, in the top three price-wise of their positions that are probably going to put up number one or number two position numbers this whole week. I love it. I am I have Pirates across the board this whole week. Not a fan of the Pirates for obvious reasons, but I like what you're <laughs> saying. I, 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 to, I totally get behind everything that you're saying. Uh, who, who would have thought John Jaso would be kind of this uh, – this year's version of like Casey McGee from like two years ago, where it's uh, it's the dirty white average. boy dreads. It's you know what I mean? Boy. With the dirty white boy dreads, it's crazy, absolutely crazy. Uh, it, it's interesting though, you know, with him, he's been batting towards the top of the lineup most days that he's been plugged into the lineup. And you're right, you know, for for DFS purposes, I mean, that's just especially the value you're getting him at and considering how hot he's been to start the year, you ride that wave until he slows himself down, which right now doesn't seem like he's doing. So uh, I definitely agree with you on that, you know, especially when they play Cincinnati Reds. I mean, they just own us here recently. So it's not a bad call. Not a bad call at all, Nick. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, another guy that I'm sure people are almost sick of us talking about, but I can't stop myself. Trevor Story, dude. Trevor Story. Four games at home against the Pirates, questionable pitching. Three games on the road in Arizona where he tore up the house to begin the season. Um, he faces Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke, and Shelby Miller at, like, the lowest points of their season so far. Um, and he gets Cole at home, you know, right now tonight, um, and then gets to face Greinke and Shelby Miller in Arizona, who he has multiple home runs off of. Um, he faces three left-handed pitchers this week. He has two singles, a double, two home runs, and a walk in 14 at-bats against lefties. For some reason, he's still not the highest-priced shortstop on some sites. So, I mean, like, I'm – I feel like a broken record at this point, too, but I'm like a 1,000% in on Trevor Story shares. I, for one, am not. Um, you know, Ooh. he's hit hard times here as of late, and – it's going to take a lot for me to be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to plug him into my lineup. Uh, on FanDuel, he's like the second, if not, I think he might still be, well, now that there's the Colorado 
they're playing at home premium pricing going on. I think he might be the highest shortstop uh, on FanDuel at the moment. I he was third wrong. tonight. He was third tonight. He was third tonight. But still, I think that that's pretty pricey considering the slump that he's kind of been in here in a little bit. Now, obviously, you're right. You know, when he goes back down to Arizona, you know, hey, to start the year, he was pretty hot down there. Uh, maybe it's a ballpark kind of thing. Who knows? But I might be more inclined to go when he gets down there to Arizona as opposed to using him when he's at home. I need to see him start hitting more and stop striking out so damn much. You know, and I, I can get behind that statement, but it, what's crazy about it, and I, I agree, though, uh, who would have thought that we would be recommending you don't play a Rockies player at Coors and you wait to play him against Zach Greinke and Shelby Miller? Right? <laughs> like, that's crazy. Um, and a couple other guys on this list, two of them we've already talked about. Travis Shaw, um, he has a flash line of 268, 346, 454 against righties. Uh, he's batting six. Uh, all seven games of Boston, or all yeah, all Boston, all seven of Boston's games this week, geez, <laughs> are against right-handed pitchers. Um, and then Jake Lamb, a guy we've been all over, 284, 351, 434 against righties. Uh, he starts three games in a row as the number two hitter against righties. So uh, look for him to go off. And then kind of low-key for me, but Melky Cabrera with the White Sox. Uh, he's currently hitting 291, 338, 417 against righties, and he's usually batting fifth. All seven of their games this week are against right-handed pitchers. Um, and, again, none of these guys are, like, super high-priced, so you can get some pretty good output from them. Yeah, I like every single one of the guys that you mentioned uh, so far. It, you know, obviously we got Trevor, Trevor Shaw, who's not doing too much for our DFS teams tonight. Uh, but for the whole – we're talking about, you know – not just DFS, you know, if not tonight, he'll, he's definitely due for something tomorrow. I think he's a strong play for this week. And, uh, yeah, I'm all over Jake Lamb's value. You know, if you can get him into your lineups, uh, I think he's an absolute steal at third base considering his price tag on most sites. So I like all the guys that you mentioned for sure. Flipping the coin now to some duds that you should probably avoid this week. Uh, my dude, Carlos Gomez, you know, it's been awful since he got traded to Houston. He's been awful since before that, but hitting just 211, 237, and 281 slash line. Um, he keeps getting dropped further down in the order. His price is – and here's the thing, because, you know, you're always looking for a player to have a breakout week. It's all there. His price is so low. Uh, faces Seattle and Minnesota. Uh, steers clear of any, like, really high-end pitchers. Um, he, he could have a big week. I'm not, you know, I'm not against that whatsoever. I kind of hope he turns it around because he's one of my favorite players. But at the same time, until I see him turn it around, I'm not, there's better value at around the same price that players that are actually producing right now. So unfortunately, you know, I'm steering clear of my dude Carlos until he shows that he can kind of get it going again. Yeah, I've never really been a fan of Carlos Gomez. I know that you kind of have your, you know, Milwaukee biases towards him. But I think that, you know, what you saw last year is kind of what you're going to see the rest of the way from him in that, you know, he's not going to provide too much average. And, you know, yeah, he has a lot of pop, but I don't know. I think he's going to struggle to stay healthy. And I think, you know, him struggling to stay healthy is really going to limit his game as far as getting him to the next step where, you know, 
everyone thought he was going to get to. Uh, he's definitely taken two steps back, and I'm with you. You know, I need to see it first before I can throw him into my lineups. Looking at uh, the rest of the position players, Aaron Buxton, I uh, had him on the list because he was hitting 150 with a 20-2 to two strikeout-to-walk ratio. Um, but he actually got option to AAA this afternoon, so obviously you shouldn't be spending money on him. And, you know, that's kind of what I hate about, like, the daily fantasy sites in general, that they don't pull these guys when things like this happen. I mean, it's good for me and you and everybody that pays even a remote little bit of attention, but there's there's a lot of people, especially like a Twins homer, for example, who are going to go out there and waste roster space on Byron Buxton, even though he's not in Major League Baseball right now. And it just kind of kind of eats at me when that happens. But um, another guy that unfortunately is still in the majors, uh, Pedro Alvarez, dude, kind of a no-brainer that you should avoid this guy, but he's hitting 118 uh, with a 147 on base percentage. He has no home runs. Luckily for Baltimore, I guess, that Mark Trumbo and Chris Davis have kind of gotten together and been their bash bros because they were kind of hoping Pedro Alvarez would get in on the mix. And he, I mean, dude's just been ass. Oh, just wait. Pedro, Pedro will heat up here soon. Um, you know, the Pedro Alvarez situation is kind of similar to the Pablo Sandoval situation that we kind of touched, touched on a couple of weeks ago and where – you know, obviously, here's a guy who's immensely talented at hitting balls out of the ballpark, kind of on the down, downward end towards of his career. Uh, and, and you're right, you know, they brought in Pedro Alvarez for a reason to kind of, you know, provide some pop uh, to the club and has yet to do so. And so until we start seeing more pop out of Pedro, I, I think that, you know, yeah, obviously he's on the waiver wire. But Say an injury happens to to crush or you know even the trumbo, uh, you could definitely see Alvarez moving back up the order, uh, batting in that five or six hole. Right now he's batting kind of exclusively like in the eight, nine hole on some days. Uh, so I mean that's not really promising for daily fantasy. Uh, you know kind of aspects where you know you kind of want to target most of your guys towards the top of the order. So. Until we start seeing a little bit more out of him, yeah, he's definitely somebody that needs to stay on the wire. Absolutely. And on the pitching side of things, um, Francisco Liriano, 14 walks in only 15 innings pitched, uh, a 1.83 whip. Uh, his command is iffy. His velocity is down. The, really, the only upside for him is his ground ball rate, but that doesn't do much for us fantasy-wise. So, that you know, avoid him right for right now, especially at Coors this week. Um, and Shelby Miller, guy we keep talking about. Uh, 8.6 ERA, well, 8.59, uh, a 1.98 whip, uh, 11 walks in only 14.2 innings pitched. Uh, supposed to be the number two ace, you know, right behind Zach Greinke down there in Arizona, and he has just been sh- shit, really. Um, there's no reason you should be rostering him. He's still pretty expensive given his performance. Uh, Drew Pomeranz, perfect example of a great replacement. Yeah, I was just about to say the exact same thing. Uh, I think that Shelby Miller's completely droppable. And I think that's okay. You know, I think that if you drop Sheldon Miller, that's perfectly fine at this point. And you're right, you know, go out there, go get Drew Pomerantz, put him into your lineup as opposed to just rolling Sheldon Miller out there over and over again. Uh, Obviously, yeah, Drew Pomerantz is going to have his hiccups along the way, but I don't think they're going to be as bad as Sheldon Miller because his hiccups aren't even over for the rest of the season. Um Liriano is kind of an interesting situation because, obviously, I don't think he's healthy. Uh, You know, he had that fantastic first start and then kind of, you know, got a little nicked up in that next start and 
really hasn't been the same since. You know, obviously we've been waiting for Liriano regression to happen for about two to three years now. Um, I don't know. You know, maybe this might be the year where it actually catches up to him. Uh, so far, it's not looking good. If you own Liriano, I would try and flip him for something. Uh, I don't know exactly what you need, but I don't think that you p- spent a pretty penny on Liriano to stress yourself out over whether or not he's going to be healthy the rest of the year because I don't think that he's going to be healthy the rest of the year. And this may be something that just nags and just kind of drags on the rest of the year until eventually they have to force him to the DL. So the Liriano situation, you're right. You know, I think he's a dud. And I think that, you know, I wouldn't say that he's droppable, but it's getting close. It's getting real close. Uh, So we're going to take one last quick break. When we come back, we will have our daily fantasy value plays of the week, sponsored by OnThePlay.com. Uh, thanks for listening to the Round and Third Podcast. We will be right back. And now, Value Plays of the Week, presented by OwnThePlay.com, the only daily fantasy site with real-time ownership percentages. Live the game at OwnThePlay.com. Welcome back to the Roundy Third Podcast on the So-Called Fantasy Experts Network. Right now we are going to hit our Value Plays of the Week, sponsored by OwnThePlay.com. Most of these guys we've already talked about, so this is going to be a pretty quick hit list. Uh, I did hit on a number of pitchers that are pitching this weekend, you know, because a lot of the times some of the best pitchers are pitching on Monday and Tuesday, you know, right when our show is being recorded and aired, so we miss out on those starts. So I've rounded up a nice little group of guys that are pitching this weekend to definitely take a look at. Uh, My dude, Marcus Stroman for Toronto, um, he was like the eighth most expensive pitcher at $8,000. So that's a really good value. Uh, Jordano Ventura uh, sitting uh, like outside the top 25 at 7,100 Saturday at Seattle. Ross Stripling in LA, a guy myself and Ryan Hodge and pretty much no one else likes. Um, only 6,400 Saturday against San Diego. Rick Porcello in Boston, a guy we've talked about a, a little bit before. Only 5,800 um, Saturday at home against the Yankees. So a lot of good pitchers that can really give you some good value to get the Bryce Harpers, the Trevor Stories into your lineup and maximize the value. Um, looking at position players, we have Wellington Castillo in Arizona at 4,400. Salvador Perez, one of my favorite catchers at 4,200. Uh, John Jaso, a guy we just talked about, uh, 4,500 this week. Really, really good value considering how much I'm going to stack him. And a lot of other pirates coming up too. Uh, Travis Shaw, another guy we talked about, only 3,400. Super value. Um, Josh Harrison in Pittsburgh, 4,500. Trevor Story, you know, we disagree there, but 56 or 5,700, excuse me, um, the third most expensive shortstop. So a little bit of value there, in my opinion, especially uh, this weekend in Arizona, like we talked about. Jake Lamb coming in at 3,500. Yasmani Tomas at 3,800. My dude, Gregory Polanco at 4,400. And your dude, Mark Trumbo, who, I mean, honestly, like value of the week right here. $4,400 between DH outfielders and first base. He doesn't even crack the top 20. Just a great, great price for a dude that's just going to mash all week for you in your lineups. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I like all of those guys. You know, obviously, we're going to disagree about Trevor Story. But I think at least Trevor Story presents some value uh, in terms of, you know, the rest of the spectrum when you're looking at shortstop. And I think that, you know, it's comfortable enough to where you can take a shot on a guy like Trevor Story because the upside is there, uh, as opposed to a lot of other shortstops where 
the upside so small. Um, but lots, lots of great values, lots of great values. Hopefully, folks, Nick wins you some money over on OdenPlay.com. Make sure you guys go over there and play the only daily fantasy site that does live ownership uh, so you can track all the people that, you know, are being selected right before the contest starts. So it's definitely a cool feature. Make sure you guys go on over there and get you some daily fantasy monies. But, folks, hey, this is it for us tonight in Around the Third Podcast. Remember, go out there and go love somebody, okay? Try and be more like Prince, all right? Uh, folks, it's your boy, Ed Hude, spelled with a U, not a no on Twitter. And, of course, I got my co-host, Ed Nick Slagle, in the house with me tonight. This is the so-called Fantasy Experts Network. We are out. Peace. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out socalledfantasyexperts.com for rankings, strategies, tips, DFS content, other podcasts, and more.